Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode number 60. Can you believe 60 episodes of Forever Strength? That's actually pretty cool. Over a year. And I am Andrew Coates, your co-host, along with Bailey Lau. And we are the co-founders of Forever Strength. And we're going to talk about the next round of our intake. But specifically, we're going to talk about glute training. So Bailey's prepared a whole bunch of stuff. And the next round of our intake, which we're going to have to check the date because we don't memorize the start dates very well. Um, <laughs> that's coming up soon. If you're interested, you'll message us. And this round is going to have a strong bias towards glute training stuff. Our last round was heavily on chin-ups, but it's still going to be a balanced full body workout, four workouts, two upper body, two lower bodies, just extra glute stuff. So Bailey, what do you got for us? Yeah. I mean, first off, there's tons of trainers that build their whole thing around glute training. Um, so I'm this podcast, we're really just skimming the surface. There's a lot of information on glute training. Uh, it's become quite popular in the last decade, I would say. Um, but starting off with glute anatomy, there are three main glute muscles, the glute max, um, gluteus maximus, sorry, gluteus medius and the minimus as well. Um, so the max would be the most superior. And then as you go down, they get deeper. Um, and they do, they have three main movements. The glutes do hip extension, which is mostly the glute max, um, hip abduction, which just means uh, moving away from the body um, at the hip. And that's mostly the glute med. Uh, and then there's external hip rotation as well. Some people will also include hip hyperextension. And mm -hmm. that's just an extension of hip extension. But even for a walking stride, you have to be able to get into hip hyperextension to actually walk or run normally. And if people who don't do this well, which can have a relationship with their glutes, then they often tend to find that hyperextension in their low backs. And while that's not necessarily going to guarantee pain or issues over the long run, it can actually present some problems. So good functioning glutes and hips really important for even the everyday stuff like walking. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of people train glutes for aesthetics. Like I said, it became very popular, um, but it's really important with, like you said, performance and for function. Um, runners, they usually have fairly large glutes, especially um, speed athletes, uh, because it is, it's heavily involved in running. And like you said, uh, the hyperextension from the pushing off phase of the running, um, as well as function. So when you think about, you know, sitting down in a chair and getting back up a squat, you use your glutes, right? So if they're not functioning well, that's that movement's just going to be a little bit harder for you, especially as you age, because as we know, things start to sort of fall apart <laughs> um, as a person ages as well. Um, We're in a constant state of degeneration. Now I say that tongue in cheek because... The language that we use around people is really important. We don't want people to feel broken, right? If you've ever worked with uh, a medical professional that told you, oh, you have degenerative discs, we all have degenerative stuff everywhere in our bodies. That's part of the aging process. The best way to resist this is to train. But the words matter because if someone hears that and they're actually really normal and they're strong, and let's say they're not experiencing much pain or, or any issues whatsoever, that can manifest as fear of movement pain sensitization and all sorts of other stuff. So our mission is to get people strong and we try never to use language that makes people feel broken. Yeah, exactly. Um, and even with, um, for the people that don't know, I just had ACL reconstructive surgery. Um, in my 
rehab right now, I'm only, I'm just coming up on six weeks post-op. Um, we're already doing glute exercises because even though the glute is movement around the hip, it contributes to the rest of the chain down and up as well. <clears throat> it's a credit to how strong you are, strong your glutes are and in particular, how strong your hamstrings are both as, you know, a, a, an athlete, but also just your dedication to strength training, where you even said before, you didn't actually believe initially that you had torn your ACL and outside of you playing, needing an ACL to play soccer at a very high level, you could have functioned for life very well without one because a, your hamstrings are so darn strong. So like there's sort of an interesting dynamic there that if you're strong all around, it can compensate for, for injury, like structural injuries, to the point of even missing something like an ACL. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And with the stability around the joint, uh, from the musculature that I had before the injury, it definitely helped stabilizing. And then there was less things to sort of clean up uh, when they went in there to to reconstruct. And I bet your healing and recovery was also faster just because of uh, the vascularization, the nervous system, ev everything just being strong. Yes. Well, not as, not as uh, fast as I was hoping, but uh, yes. Um, just in, in general, it is going quite smoothly, which is nice. Um, so back to glute training, um, the exercise categories, uh, hip dominant movement. So that would be flexion extension in the horizontal. Uh, and then there's also, uh, flexion extension vertical. So horizontal would be something like a hip thrust. Vertical would be something like a squat. Uh, and then there's abduction movements. And then hip external rotation. I know a lot of people don't train that kind of thing, but it is involved in movements like squats. Um, so if your knees and your toes point outward when you're squatting, that would be some external rotation, um, especially on the way up to keep them sort of stacked and the most efficient movement. Could you give an example, a, a deeper example of an exercise, some secondary exercise that fit into those categories? All of them. <laughs> yeah so I mean, you said hip thrust so do we have any other horizontal ones vertical ones and then maybe some examples of some external rotation uh abduction ones yeah so uh vertical things like lunges even where the hip is extending and flexing while you're moving up and down um and then horizontal yeah things like glute bridges uh reverse hypers uh, glute extensions, even on a 45. I mean, that's not true horizontal, but still the horizontal movement. Um, and then abduction, seated abductions, lots of gyms have them, clamshells, banded lateral, uh, lateral band walks, stuff like that. Uh, that would be abductions as well. There's a lot of negativity about banded glute stuff from some people in the fitness space. And I think they're creating sort of a false dichotomy that Again, can a banded, you know, a light banded exercise replace a squat or a heavy hip thrust? No, they're not trying to do that. They're trying to be additions. It's like doing a heavy bench press, but then also doing some shoulder or tricep, you know, isolation work on top of it to deepen the work of the muscle fibers, but manage the overall fatigue of your training. So some people just enjoy it and they get good pumps off of it. So I'm fine with it. Yeah. I hate it because it's the only thing I'm allowed to do right now, but you're right. It is a, it is effective for sure. Um, glute exercises and selection. 
uh, selection and order, sorry. So compound exercises, I feel like there should be two different categories. So things, um, your multi-joint, multi-muscle exercises. So squats, deadlifts. Um, and I feel like lunges, split squats, hip thrusts are sort of that secondary um, just because they do use multiple muscle groups, but a lot of people just can't move the same amount of weights. I guess hip thrust, that's an, a, an exception there because a lot of people can move a lot of weight with that. Um, but things like lunges and split squats, um, you can use multiple different rep ranges for those ones. Um, a lot of people tend to stick to heavy things, lower reps with squats and deadlifts. Um, so I guess it just depends on what your program calls for. Um, so if you're going super heavy with any of those exercises where you're using the knee and the hip joint, so compound exercise, um, maybe like a one to six rep range. Uh, it depends on what kind of weights you're moving, how close you are to failure, stuff like that. Uh, if you're moving moderate weights, you still want to be close to failure in the grand scheme of things. Um, but if the reps are a little bit higher, then you can scale back the weight a little bit biomechanically and i assume that's probably the best way to do it there are certain exercises that are better suited for you know a one to three rep max type load versus others i would never take a client and put them in for a two rep max on a leg press i'm just not going to do it whereas somebody who's got great skill and it's suitable to their program a squat or a deadlift a one to two rep max might actually be appropriate we're not going to do one rep max lunges with people <laughs> it's not going to happen so oftentimes what we're doing is a function of the type of exercise and what's the goal. And in that particular case, we're going for maximal strength and some of those really core compounds like bench press outside of the specifics of legs. Again, good example, maybe even a weighted chin up. Those can be useful, but I'm not interested in a three rep max bicep curl because if you've ever done a curl form is really going to break down. And quite frankly, I think you start to get that kind of load. You're placing unnecessary risk of injury, maybe on a bicep tendon, just that heavy. So we wouldn't use a, I don't tend to use isolations at that heavy a load. That's the big compound stuff. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then, so for the isolation exercises, single joint exercises, um, this one is a little bit tricky because a lot of the times when you're doing things that are glute dominant, um, the hamstring likes to help as well. Um, kickbacks, would be included in that glute, glute extensions, uh, reverse hypers, like I mentioned before, hip, hip, hip abductions and lateral band walks, and then clamshells as well, all be considered um, isolation exercises. So when you're doing those ones, they tend to respond well to higher rep ranges, um, just because it's only one joint moving. Um, usually you're not going to be able to lift as much weight I, I don't know anyone that can do um, hip abductions with, you know, 300 pounds like a person would be able to do with a squat. Like it's just unheard of. So exactly what I was talking about earlier. Here's something important too. I think there's a, the industry likes to oversimplify and create false dichotomies over debates like squats versus hip thrust as if it's got to be one versus the other. There was a study done. It was a few years ago uh, out of Brazil and the results pointed that squats were better than hip thrusts. But then some really smart people like Greg Knuckles got into it and looked at the data and was like, something's wrong. Something's wrong with this data. 
And it was very clear pretty quickly when they analyzed it that the data was fake, it was false. And the lab that was producing this stuff was producing research at a rate that just simply wasn't possible. So they were making stuff up. It was it was academic fraud. But there was a lot of people jumping on this narrative because they their bias was hip thrusts are bad, squats are better. And it's a silly argument. They train the glutes in a very different way. Right? We get peak contraction of the glute in the extended position, the top of a hip thrust, whereas we get you know, peak tension in the deepest stretch at the bottom of a lunge and a squat. That's the stuff that actually makes you really sore, by the way, um, mm-hmm. especially lunges, nasty business, right? And well, it, it's really important that we we stretch muscle under load. That's a component of many components of, of building muscle. And here's the good play. If you've got time to do both, if you care about building big glutes, like I'll, I'll let you finish this. What should they be doing? Like just pick a bunch of exercises for them. What should they be doing? I mean, we're going to give away our whole program here. I'm just kidding. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you want to pick your, your heavy lifts, um, squats, deadlifts, the first exercise, maybe not in the same day, maybe two different days. Um, and then something where it's single leg, you could do lunges, uh, split squats. I would include hip thrust, maybe the second exercise, put lunges third. Um, and you can do them both days you wanted the the glutes respond well to um high reps for that one and low reps with heavy weight um so you could put one heavy day and one light day the next day um so one to three exercises of that compound category and then isolation exercises again one to three maybe closer to three for that one um yeah so i mean kickbacks they're they're okay they're not my favorite exercise um reverse hypers if you don't have a machine it's kind of annoying to set that one up. Um, so if you have a 45, I really like the, the glute extension. We don't have one at Evolve, which is unfortunate, but, um, I like hip abductions again, another machine that we just don't have. So you could Mm -hmm. do sideline hip abductions. Um, I know a lot of people do these standing. I don't feel like that's the greatest movement. Like you'd have to have a lot of, you'd have to have a big plate on the side of your knee to get it from standing like there are just more efficient ways to get more out of that exercise but absolutely agree we share that philosophy Mm -hmm. Uh, any other training considerations that are really important for people yeah so that would be frequency and volume the the glutes like i said there are three but it's a big muscle um so it does if you're pushing it close to failure it's going to take some time to recover um so as we've said many, many times before, recovery is not just taking days off of the gym. It's eating enough food, um, taking days off of the gym, active recovery, and sleeping, right? And stress management as well. I feel like people forget that one. You you hit on something big. Let's expand on it. If you've got, and again, we're talking to women here, and I mean, this is true of guys too, but especially because women tend to want to build glutes more, on average more than men. If you are a trying to train high volume, to build a bigger butt, but you're also dieting to lose fat. Those two goals are incongruent for all but total beginners or people on performance enhancing drugs. And we're probably not talking to a community who are using performance enhancing drugs. So you kind of have to make a choice here, right? You have to be willing to eat enough protein to grow and to get yourself into a bit of a calorie surplus to optimally grow your glutes. Now, if you're a total beginner, guess what? You're going to see your body recomp that's pretty normal. But if you've been training for a while, you got to pick one or the other. You can't, it's like chasing two cats at the same time. If you own a cat, guess what? doesn't work very well. Okay. You would know. Yeah. 
Um, another consideration is frequency and volume. Um, so frequency, the amount of days that you're doing per week uh, where you're training those muscles, two to three days. Three is okay for some people. It might be too much for others, but at least two days of, of glute training. Uh, and volume would be the amount that you're doing over a day and the amount that you're doing over the week. Um, so if you were really into building your own program and you wanted to make it really efficient, I would count the sets that you're you're doing and then just make sure it's even sort of between the days and not too much throughout the whole week as well. Yep. And I tend to find anecdotally, and I think there's some physiology that supports this, that women seem to respond better to higher volumes than men. Uh, part of that is because on average women, tend, and again, women have pretty strong lower bodies, especially, but they may not be using as much empirical load. So it's not necessarily quite as disruptive then again you watch bailey lift and it's pretty impressive but not either right. way <laughs> but not right now but i've definitely noticed that women can really handle uh higher volumes of training and they do pretty well with reasonable frequency as well so um I, i've seen some really good results with higher frequency programs with uh, women i've worked with so we're gonna do two really heavily weighted day, lower body days that hit the glutes pretty hard if you are interested in learning more please message us we're opening up registration for this pretty soon and any other important considerations with this? Uh, no, I said it all. <laughs> <laughs> you did a good job. Uh, well, thanks for everybody, down anyway. Good. Everybody listening, guys, thank you so much. Um, we're going to bring you more episodes really soon. We hope you enjoy these episodes. If you're somehow brand new to us and finding this one first, we've gone over a ton of training concepts and we've had a lot of really great industry guests, coaches. And we're also going to look at bringing on, hopefully if everything goes according to plan, some of the members of our program soon, and we're going to actually interview them and talk about their experience. You're going to get to hear from people just like you who are on the same journey and explore their, their journey. So thank you guys so much. We'll talk to you next week.